I wish I could put my fists through the whole clouds of Utah. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Lousy Beautiful Town, where we like to scream about Star Wars and put our fists through things. I'm one of your hosts, Jess, and I'm joined by your other host, the lovely Abby. Hello. Hi. <laughs> welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> I like how we decided to just start doing this weekly now. Like, it, it's not even a question. Like, <laughs> yep. you know, I remember we were first having conversations of like, okay, so how long or, you know, how often do we want to post? And we're like, you know, let's do like every other week or you know, maybe once a month for right now, and then we'll ease our way into once a week, and it's just, nope. We just have a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> We're very opinionated. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh-huh. <laughs> for those of you who can't see our Google Drive, we have a whole list of episode ideas, so we're not going to run out of content anytime no. soon. We just keep looking up stuff and putting it on there and being like, yes, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Um, So we're going to talk about some very interesting things today. We're going to talk about Queen Shadow, first of all. Um, So if you haven't read Queen Shadow and you don't want to be spoiled, skip forward to the next episode. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much everything after we talk about Queen Shadow is going to relate back to it. So yeah, sorry, this episode's not for you. Um, (laughs) And um, on related to Queen Shadow... We're going to talk about queer baiting, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're also going to talk about fanfic. Yay. So this is going to be probably on the longer side today, um, so you're welcome for, for extended <laughs> content. Um, <laughs> Making your commute that much better. <laughs> yes, and um, this may or may not be a controversial episode, so we'll see how it goes, um, but we have thoughts, capital T, <laughs> thoughts. Before we do that, um, we're going to get into some news. Not a ton of stuff, considering Celebration was like a couple weeks ago and we got flooded with information there. Um, (laughs) They're slowing it down a little bit. Um, But Vader Immortal, the Oculus Quest game, which I forgot what that was called, but it's the (laughs) untethered version of Oculus Rift, so you don't need to be hooked up to a computer to do it. Um, It's just its own little game console type thing. Anyway, it's going to be available May 21st, so um, start saving up your money because you have three weeks uh, (laughs) if you want to buy it, and it's not cheap. Yeah, it's one of those things that's like just, it's it's not an accessible format of gaming. Um, It's like people who are hardcore into that kind of stuff, but... Yeah, I'm looking it up right now because I want to know how much it is, and I feel like, oh, I don't want to look this up. Best Buy isn't telling me anything. What the hell, Best Buy? Oh, wait, wait, wait. the 64 gigabyte is $400, and the uh, the 128 gigabyte is $500. Okay, that's actually... That's better. (laughs) I'm still not going to do it, but it's better. I'm still broke, but... Yeah. Can you look up how much Oculus Rift is? Yes. Right now, you can get it at Walmart. This episode is brought to you by Walmart. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you, no, it's not. We don't like Walmart. No, we don't like Walmart. <laughs> um, for like 800 bucks. Well, this is a three-item bundle. Uh, I don't know. But now it's it's dropping permanently to $400 since the quest is coming oh, out. Damn. So Nice. Yeah. Look at that. Either way, it's fucking expensive. Gaming is expensive. Gaming is such a money pit. Like, 
I just upgraded my PC recently and it was easily like 900 bucks mm-hmm. and I'm going to have to do it again in like four years Right, because right, <laughs> right. everything's going to be outdated right. in like six months. It's already, I already bought the stuff that's not fully top of the line because I was like, I'm not spending $3,000 on a video card. I'm sorry. Right, right. <laughs> like I'm going to buy a refurbished one that is like the, on the, on the lower end, not lower end, but just not on the high end. Right. Cause I don't really need that. Right. I don't stream. So. Right. Yeah, so if you're into that, it comes out May 21st. Tell us how it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, tell us how it is because we're poor. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, the other news is that the, what are we calling this? Audio drama? Yeah. Dooku Jedi Lost by Kevin Scott is now available. I think that's available as of today yep. or yesterday. Today. Today. So today is Tuesday. Yes. So when you listen to this, it will be Wednesday. (laughs) It was available yesterday for you, listener. But yeah, uh, I'm excited to dive into that. Uh, It's probably going to be a while until it's available for me. I don't even know if my library is going to have that. Mm. I might have to buy it. Uh, We'll see. I'll have to look after this. I haven't looked yet. And one (laughs) added thing that I forgot to mention last week, and I feel really bad, is one of the other books that was announced. uh, I mean, it's been announced since before Celebration, but was discussed on the panel that I attended for uh, Lucasfilm Publishing was Alphabet Squadron by Alexander Freed. He was at the panel. I completely forgot that he was there. I'm so sorry, Alexander Freed. <laughs> um, my bad. And that was a we we were tired. Yeah, we <laughs> okay, were very tired. That's all. And I was not prepared to talk about the panels that I went to, even though we were doing an episode on <laughs> Celebration. So I should have, but here we are. So yeah, Alphabet Squadron will be available June 11th, and um, for those of our friends that are so blessed to get art copies, um, they've said some pretty good things about it so far, so I'm excited to read that. I've requested that my library buy it, (laughs) and I think (laughs) I am sixth in line when that comes out now. (laughs) So June 11th, mark your calendars. And um, Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray is out. That was out the week of Celebration. You could buy it at Celebration. Yeah, yeah. Or you could get your um, con copy, exclusive con copy. But yeah, I heard good things about that too. So we'll read it eventually Mm -hmm. and maybe talk about it. It only took me like a month and a half to get Queen Shadow from the library. So that's that's a thing. I wish we lived closer. So like if I got a book, I could just let you borrow it. I know. He's so nice. (laughs) I was thinking that too. (laughs) Oh, well. I'm just one of those people lately that I don't want to buy any more books because I have so many. And I'm trying to get rid of stuff because I have too much shit in my yep. house. And so I just am like, nope, I'm not buying it. I'm getting it from the library yep. and I'm being stubborn about it. But it's making it <laughs> so that I'm slow <laughs> to read what's what's new for Star Wars. I need Wars, to use so. my library more. I literally live like the library in my town is in my backyard, basically. Oh my god, you should walk to the library when it's not snowing and disgusting. <laughs> yeah, it's been raining ever since it was snowing, so. It snowed again over the weekend, <laughs> so that was nice. Lovely Midwestern yep. weather. It's been beautiful and sunny. It did, it rained the other night. Shut up. It scared me, woke me up. Oh, rain. Um, <laughs> rain scared you. Yeah, I was, I didn't know it was supposed to rain and it woke me up, for, like, from a deep sleep. <laughs> Like, what is that noise? <laughs> I think it's supposed to rain like all the all week this week, except for the day of my graduation, which I'm like, oh perfect. The, the sky gods have blessed me because <laughs> <laughs> my graduation's outside. Alrighty, let's talk about Queen Shadow before we get too crazy here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're we are partaking in adult beverages tonight, so 
currently are, it's been a day. I'm having all the technical difficulties mm-hmm. that you could ever think of for work stuff. And I just want to throw everything across the room. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How did you feel? What are your overall thoughts about Queen Shadow? I loved this book. <laughs> I have been wanting a Padme book for forever. Um, And a while ago, I had jokingly tweeted um, that I would give Lucasfilm my firstborn child if they gave us a Padme book. Um, Well, and they delivered on that. (laughs) So I hope my uh, firstborn child is okay with me. Let's be real. You were probably going to give them your firstborn child anyway. Basically. <laughs> because they basically because Star like, Wars. are my firstborn child with like the kind of money I spend on them. Like I feel like right. I, that's the kind of money you spend on a child. But anyway, yep. <laughs> I got the book and I was so excited that E.K. Johnston was writing it. I really love her. I think she's a fantastic author. I think she understands Star Wars pretty well from a... Uh, female fans perspective I think mm-hmm. she understood Padme very well it, it holds a very special place in my heart because I have been a big old Padme fan since I was a kiddo because like the prequels were coming out as I was growing up so I was kind of like growing up with Padme and when my friends and I down the street in my old neighborhood would play Star Wars. I was always Padme because I was the only girl. Um, (laughs) But we would play the Geonosis battle scene all the time. And so Padme holds a very special place in my heart. So to be able to have a book that goes very much so inside her head and is all about her and female friendships um, and has perspectives of her female friends is really important and cool to me. And it has its flaws. Like we'll talk about that later. Um, but I love it very, very much. Okay. So I really enjoyed this book. Um, but I felt like it felt like fan fiction to me because like nothing really happens. (laughs) (laughs) Like things happen, but I, I feel like nothing like major happens. And obviously like the time constraints of the story make it so that like not a lot can happen. Um, just like based on, I mean, nothing, like she can't die or like nothing major can happen. We, right. Like, all the all the handmaids that we know of in the Clone Wars are like there and all the, you know, whatever. Anyway, um, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I was grinning so hard when I was reading this book because it was like, this is, you're totally right. E.K. Johnston totally gets Padme mm-hmm. and she gets her voice and um, her internal monologue was like perfect. It was like so spot on and Oh my god, I really need a Sabe novel. Yes. <laughs> now, I really hope that there is a second novel um as a companion to this that maybe is just from Sabe's point of view. Um I'm I'd be fine if it was from Padme's too, but um based on like the the epilogue, uh. um I want some Sabe in the Rebel Alliance, like as a uh-huh. rebel spy, and I think her working working with Cassian ah! would be so freaking awesome, yeah! right? <laughs> oh my god! And then like she might meet Ahsoka, and oh, right, so many things. So I just like I saw they're so like this story is very like compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. I feel, 
and it's wonderful. Just like everything about it is wonderful. Just the the relationships with the handmaids and Padme, like Bale and Mon Mothma and, you know, seeing Palpatine and like that side of him that, I mean, we, we've seen a little bit of that in the films and in Clone Wars, but it was interesting to see it from Padme's mm-hmm. point of view, having like a different relationship with him than other senators, right. essentially. And kind of, um, I don't know, just, I, I really loved this. Um, I want more. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, it made me feel like I was like, okay, there's going to be like another 500 pages after this, right? <laughs> because so much more stuff needs to happen. I need, I need to read more about everybody in this book. So I can't remember who I saw tweet this. And I feel really bad about it because it was a really good tweet of like, if you view this book more as like a book that is solely for character development rather than like it's character driven rather than plot driven like it reads much better if you come at it from that perspective but I think all of us kind of go into a Star Wars book being like this is plot driven because most of them are and I think we're just used to like I read a lot of YA Mm -hmm. and a lot of like fantasy and science fiction and it's most I mean there's a lot of character development in some of the books that I read but most of it's very heavily plot driven and I yeah I'm just not used to reading something that's more character driven I think um and if I am it's something that's like a like a four or five volume fantasy (laughs) series that is like much different than how this was written (laughs) which is not always a good thing but yeah thoroughly enjoyed Mm -hmm. it um so this novel is essentially like Padme's coming of age like she's very young in the Phantom Menace um she's kind of at the beginning an untested leader and she obviously goes through her her tests and Mm -hmm. trials as a leader and this is kind of the the um aftermath of that and so do you want to talk a little bit about like how she becomes Padme versus um Queen Amidala and like kind of that what what changed what's what's better what's what's mm-hmm. what's different yeah so what i really liked learning about is you you get a lot of this throughout the book is like amidala is a character rather than a which person. is such a cool concept right <laughs> so cool like that's not i mean we obviously see it in the phantom menace that padme and amidala are not the same person <laughs> they don't even have the same speaking voice but that we learn through queen shadow that like amidala's voice is something that padme and sabe worked on together to create uh so that one they could mimic it both of them could mimic it and two because they were creating a character, which is a really cool way of thinking of Amidala. This is a really bad example, but it kind of reminds me of Lady Gaga. <laughs> and how yeah, no, you're she's right. very much like she has a persona. She has Lady Gaga, the persona, uh-huh. and that's who she is when she's in public. Um, costume, right. voice, everything. And then obviously when she's alone, when she's with family, like that's probably a very different person. <laughs> But that's kind of what that reminded me of. Yeah. No, that's a really great comparison. Gaga, a handmaid. Oh, my God. (laughs) Gaga, queen of Naboo. Oh, my God. That sounds like a Star Wars character's name. I'm just saying. Oh, my God. Now I want a comic Um. of Queen Gaga (laughs) of Naboo. And she has to look like Lady Gaga. (laughs) Like early Lady Gaga. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. We find out that the Naboo are very, like, culture-driven and are super into the arts, so it works. Lucasfilm, we are writing a story for you. Yeah, like, performance and art and music is, like, totally, totally a thing on their planet. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it totally makes sense that their their politicians would have this kind of same like theatrics, I guess. Yeah. Well, the queen that's elected after Padme, I can't I can't pronounce the name. Naboo names are weird. <laughs> um, but the queen that is elected after Padme, she was queen when she was younger and then took a long time off to be a performer to sing and then became queen again so hello gaga (laughs) she's like an opera singer right (laughs) yeah yeah but anyway (laughs) we'll talk about gaga the queen of naboo in another episode maybe (laughs) (laughs) we're creating our own canon um but throughout this, you you have to see you get to see um, how Padme has to learn that Amidala doesn't work in the Senate. One because the Senate isn't a big fan of Amidala necessarily. Some people are into it, some people are not. Because in the Phantom Menace, we see this queen from a mid rim planet come out of nowhere and say, you know, fuck all of your your systems and your committees and all that. And I'm saying your chancellor, he ain't shit. Get him out. (laughs) And then, you know, the, the Senator from her home planet happens to become the chancellor. So people are super wary of Padme when she comes into the Senate because they think that she thinks that she can do whatever the fuck she wants, especially because Palpatine's now chancellor. So we have to see, we get to see her, learning to keep some pieces of Amidala because they work as a senator, but also allowing bits of Padme in to create the kind of alliances she wants with like Bale and Mon Mothma and even for a little bit Mina Bunteri, which was really cool. But yeah, I I think it's just a really cool coming of age story of this. I was this person and now I can't be necessarily. And so what do I do with that? And I feel like that's really relatable for a lot of people absolutely especially for women yeah it's go, coming yeah going into careers like going from possibly like college into a career and having to navigate like mm-hmm. it sucks that we have to tailor our behavior based on yeah. what career path we take you know what um what professional situation you find yourself in but it, we totally have to and as lame as it is hashtag fuck the patriarchy um that's that was very <laughs> relatable from this book I, I totally yeah. felt that as well because like I, I I feel that so hard in my job of like how much of myself do I bring in and how much of my creating like how much of me is Abby and how much of me is Amidala Abby <laughs> Abidala <laughs> Abidala duh um I feel the same way like I definitely feel like I put on a different Jess when I go to work. And I know a lot of people feel mm-hmm. that way, like, but I, it, I almost feel like I'm acting when I'm at work because so much of it is oh, not yeah. who I am, but also like there's, I'm so introverted that I wouldn't be able to do what I do without, without putting on that face. <laughs> I think I would be so stressed out. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like a survival yeah. tactic as well. So yeah, that's, I, Padme's coming of age in this I think is really cool and I I think it bridges nicely between where we see her in the Phantom Menace to where we see her in the Clone Wars because by the time we get to the Clone Wars which is still a good couple of years away from the time um, Queen Shadow ends before the epilogue because the epilogue takes place after Revenge of the Sith by the time we hit Clone Wars Padme is kind of the Padme we know 
in Revenge of the Sith. I totally skipped over Attack of the Clones, but that one too. Um, <laughs> it's funny when you said that. I totally like was skipping Clone Wars and thinking that E.K. Johnston did a really good job of bridging um, the Phantom Menace with um, Attack of the Clones, Padme. Because um, yeah, I, that's what I meant. No, sometimes. no, but, but like I, but <laughs> thinking about like Clone Wars, Padme, because obviously they were, took inspiration from Attack of the Clones, Padme, and Revenge of the Sith, Padme, mm-hmm. to be able to write Clone Wars, but. Um, because, wait, Clone Wars happens in between Attack of the Clones and Revenge Attack of the Clones and Revenge I don't know Sith, why yeah. I was thinking it was happening between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. I'm a, I'm a fake fan. I apologize. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I am, too. I totally forgot about the... Yeah. <laughs> anyway. We're fake fans. We're women. We just like Star Wars, so boys will like us. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I really... F- okay, so now I see why what you said was not correct. Okay. <laughs> You yeah. didn't even mm-hmm. catch that. <laughs> it bridges the gap nicely between this book and Attack of the Clones Padme into the Clone Wars Padme there, is what I meant. There we say. go. <laughs> but I'm a fake fan, so what do I I like know? how both of us were wrong <laughs> on different levels on that timeline there, but we didn't realize okay. it. It's fake and in space. Oh my god. Um, I'll be honest, though. I know more about uh, the Clone Wars era of history in Star Wars than I do about some world history in real life. So, <laughs> Oh god, yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Make that of what of it, which you will. Alright, so there's like a weird little storyline in this book that um, kind of gets abandoned, I feel like. Um, <laughs> Super abandoned. The Tatooine storyline. Um, I was super happy that the slavery issue was addressed because that's a huge gripe that I have about Anakin's arc is that he never goes back to free the slaves. And that was like something that he was really passionate about. And so it makes me really happy Mm -hmm. that at least Padme was thinking about it um, post um, her, you know, her time on Tatooine and that she actually like that was like initially what she wanted to do um, before she was asked to become a senator. So I'm glad that issue was addressed, but this storyline just, it just fizzled out and it was weird. Yeah. I was really fret. Like if I had one big problem with the book, like the Tatooine storyline is it because it was, it felt super unimportant despite the fact like the back little chunk of the book um, has a uh, part uh, from one of the earlier chapters of like the handmaidens asking Padme what she's going to do now that she's not queen. And she's like, I thought I would go back to Tatooine. And then Erte tells her that she'd have more of an impact if she was in the Senate and that she could help more planets than just Tatooine. And then Yane says the Senate takes years, just go with a good ship (laughs) and connections. And then Sabe, it says Sabe leaned forward and said, if only you knew of a way to be in two places at once. And I was like, cool. So Padme's going to be in the Senate. Sabe's going to be in Tatooine, which, to be fair, happened. <laughs> For a little bit. But basically, yep. Mm-hmm, but basically, uh, Sabe was like, I couldn't find Shmi. And then Padme's like, okay, cool. I need you on Coruscant. That's like, all right. Yeah. Bye, Shmi. I feel like this works <laughs> if there's going to be more than one book, because obviously they will come back yes. to that. But I mean, we know that Shmi is never found. So... Like, <laughs> I'm assuming by the time, like, Sabe gets there, like, Shmi is already with the Larses, I hope, yeah. because that's a better life for her. Yeah. Um, Shmi is gone by Attack of the Clones. But, yeah, it was just, it felt like I was on an episode of Sapphic Skywalkers where we talked about Queen's Shadow, and um, 
I can't remember which I think it was either it was either Lynn or Emma because um, it wasn't me. Uh, <laughs> so my process of elimination, it's either Lynn or Emma had said that it felt like it was kind of thrown in there to shut people up about like, you know how people are like, well, why didn't Padme go back and save Shmi or, yeah. you know, free more slaves on Tatooine? She had the resources, which like if you think about it, it makes sense that she didn't because it would look weird for a. I don't like justifying this, but like a sovereign of another planet coming to another planet, it's not part of the Republic, <laughs> like, right. Yeah. And threatening their sovereignty. Yeah. Like I, I get it. It's politics. Yeah. Yeah. It's gross politics, but I felt like that was just to like get people to shut up and be like, see, Pad- Padme did try to do something and like she did, but I don't know. I felt like this storyline deserved a lot more than it got. Yeah. Which like I said, if they do more books, if they, if E.K. Johnston yeah. does more books with this this time period, hopefully that will come mm-hmm. back. Because um, even at the end of the what book, what if we got like a whole? Sh- sorry, what if we got like a whole Shmi book? <sighs> oh my god! From E.K. Johnston, that would be beautiful. What Shmi's up to while Padme's in the Senate, and what if it's like a Shmi Padme novel, like two points of view? <gasps> All right, we're just oh, like so pumping it. out content here for y'all. Like, yeah, Lucasfilm, <laughs> hire us. <laughs> I can't write anything, but I will definitely nope. give you ideas. <laughs> yep. I will pitch you ideas and you can find someone to write them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just give me like 5% of the royalties. I don't know. Like yeah. that would ever happen. That's a lot of money still right? <laughs> from them. <laughs> we can negotiate that. But yeah, that I, I'm glad we're on the same page because I was just kind of like, okay, what? Oh, and then at the very end, doesn't Padme ask Sabe to like stay on Coruscant like indefinitely yes and so like Sabe wanted to like go back to Tatooine to like continue her mission and Padme's like no I need you here so it was even like like she had an opportunity to be like yeah go back and do your thing and it was still just like no right it was really strange (laughs) though I do like I still do kind of like the idea that like Sabe was still on Coruscant throughout Attack of the Clones and Clone Wars and they were still getting together and we just didn't see it but like yeah it, it felt very much so rushed and then dropped yeah yeah it's very weird but yeah like you said because it on the back of the book like it made it seem like that was going to be the main plot and then I think that's why like <laughs> this felt like a strange book to me because what I thought was going to be the main plot got dropped and then it was like a non-plot mm-hmm. that continued for the rest of the book and it was just like character development which is right. fine um, that's the style mm-hmm. of book this is, but I think that's why it felt like fan fiction to me. And I mean, we do see Padme trying to get more involved in um, committees within the Senate to end slavery. Yeah. But apparently, like a lot of them, Palpatine is involved in, which, um, is... which we know <laughs> is because he was trying to derail all of yeah. it. So, like that was why she couldn't get involved because he was like, "Oh no, my dear! Like if you do this, like." It's going to look like nepotism, kind of like, you know, the whole Naboo situation and me becoming Chancellor did to stay out of it. And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, he's smart and old and a man, so he must be wise because that's how we as women are trained to think. Look, Palpatine is wise. Um, It was just for nefarious purposes, (laughs) for her own benefit. (laughs) Right. So, like, I, I will give Padme that. Like, she does try. Yeah. Which is more than, like, I don't know, Qui-Gon Jinn could say. Right? But that's my opinion about Or that. Anakin? Mm-hmm. The former slave? Mm-hmm. But whatever. There's yeah, trauma there. Mm-hmm. I understand. Yeah, yeah. There's trauma there. Um, So, kind of going on to a different topic. 
um, the separatist crisis is very carefully um, hinted at. Like the beginning mm-hmm. of the separatist crisis is very is is hinted at in this novel. How I I freaking love this. <laughs> like oh, I did too. Like the minute Mina Bonteri came, I almost said came on screen, but like <laughs> appeared in the book, I was like, oh oh my god, I know her. <laughs> yeah. She has a stupid son. <laughs> yes, she does. <laughs> she does have a stupid son. So I didn't realize the extent to which she was manipulated by Dooku. Like, I kind of assumed, like, yeah. in the Clone Wars, it's presented as if she is fully, like, idealistically on board with separatism and with being against the Republic. But in this book, it's presented as Dooku is, like, pu- definitely pulling the strings, which makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. that's what you would mm-hmm. think. But I, it just seems a little obvious. And it's kind of sad that she was like in a position for that to happen right right well I really I I really liked getting to see some of her uh and Padme's friendship like kind of it's like serious it it felt like the minute Padme entered the senate Mina was like there's a small child I'm taking her under my wing she's mine back off (laughs) and I love I love that she's like this 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 is my youngling and I'm going to protect her and teach her the ways of the senate but Um, okay so on that note I wonder if that was just her trying to find allies for her separatist alliance or if that was like a genuine, like I'm taking someone under my wing. I think, I feel like it was a little bit of both. Okay. (laughs) Cause I feel like she, she, (laughs) I don't know. This is my own personal opinion, but like you definitely see her testing the waters with Padme of like being like, you know, you basically said fuck all other systems for Naboo. (laughs) a couple of years ago like that was kind of cool don't you think like don't you think you should do that again yeah wouldn't it be cool if like all the galaxy did that and Padme's like oh wait 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 no that was a one-time only deal but I also feel like even once Mina realizes like Padme's not into it like I don't think does she drop the friendship I can't remember I think she gets a little cold towards her but I think that's later on when she very obviously becomes closer um with Bale and Mon Mothma yeah um yeah which but I did. I really liked her presence in the book. That was very unexpected for some reason. Like I, that was never in my wildest dreams. But I was very glad to see her. Um, there's another character from Clone Wars that was was in <laughs> that was inserted in here, which was he was just so annoying. So I t- didn't even put him on here. <laughs> like, <laughs> nope. <laughs> I don't even remember his name right now. Uh, Rush Clovis. Um, yeah, so we get an introduction to Rush Clovis as well and his forwardness and his obsession with Padme. Um, I'm kind of glad that he's just painted as a complete idiot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And like the second we start getting redeeming qualities of him is like towards the end of the book, you're getting like the last chunk of plot where they're trying to save this planet and Padme and Clovis work in all hours of the night to to figure out a plan. And like even Padme is like okay maybe this guy's a good guy like he's being really selfless right now he's being smart and intelligent and all that and then once they're finished he tries to make a move on her yeah because he thinks he's owed that yep because he did her a favor and then we're all like yep nope okay Clovis is still disgusting super relatable (laughs) yep oh my god Uh uh-huh oh god everything about like Padme's struggles that she goes through in this book I feel like is so relatable yeah specifically like I don't know I can't I can't speak for anybody else but I feel like specifically as a woman 
a lot of the things that she goes through in this book are really relatable. Yeah, I super related to the, I was owed this because Mm -hmm. I helped you type of thing, especially in a professional setting. And also the whole like nice guy shtick, like Mm -hmm. I'm owed this because I was a nice guy, like, and I felt a connection. Uh, And I like how she's just like, no. No, like, uh-huh. and she doesn't even say anything else. Just no, <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. it. That's all you need to say. Yeah. Um, God, I always say this, that like guys who weaponize their niceness scare me way more than guys who are blatantly overt with the fact that they hate women. Uh, that's a tough one for me. Um, I mean, like, they both fucking terrify me, but I think it's, like, the nice guy shtick is, like, sometimes it feels like, yeah, okay, you can be a good dude. You get lulled you get into, lulled like, in, yeah, yep. a false sense of security. A false sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you get lulled into a false yeah. sense mm-hmm. of security. <laughs> God damn it. Our brains are mush today. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I feel the same way. Um Yeah. And it's you're kind of caught by surprise when you're like, oh, you are actually a douchebag. Great. I feel like it, it it hurts even more that way. Oh, yeah, for sure. And also, like, the fact that Padme had very few allies in the Senate at this point, yes. too, is, like, even more of a slap in the face. It's like, oh, like, maybe you were being predatory and saw that I didn't have allies and you wanted to take mm-hmm. advantage of that, which is probably a thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Because that's a thing in, in our world. Right. Well, anyway, we know we know how he turns out, or you do if um, you watch the Clone Wars. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. So, what were our favorite parts? Um, everything about Sabi. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I fucking adore her. She is now one of my favorite characters, and I want an entire series about her. Um, she's so cool. I agree. Like, I feel like you don't get, you don't really pay much attention to her in The Phantom Menace because you're not supposed to. Yeah. Because you're supposed to think she's Amidala. Um, Sabe's um, the one who was played by Kira Knightley in The Phantom Menace, right? Yes. Okay. So, yeah, she's just so fucking awesome, and I just want more of her. I agree. She's such a good character, such a cool character. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I thought was interesting was just Naboo culture, like the queen yeah. culture, and like how just like the the dresses that Amidala wears is like costume and there's, you know, hidden compartments for weapons and like the fabric Mm -hmm. is actually like armored to protect her. And, um, the headdresses have like, have things in them. And then like each, Mm -hmm. each handmaid has like a specific task, like someone's supposed to be listening and, you know, like they can hide in the shadows because they're, whatever they're wearing blends in with the background, uh, like the walls and stuff, like just like all that stuff is so interesting. Like it has a lot of like espionage elements to it, which was Mm -hmm. really fascinating to me. Um, and like their closeness of like how they can communicate and, um, like without words and also just with like facial expressions. And that's a yeah. very like, that is a very relatable, like female friendship thing. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> like not just at their level, like their level is like a whole other level, but just at, like being friends with another woman that you've been close with for like a long time for like years, or you've just like gone to school together for a long time, or you played sports together or anything like that. Like mm-hmm. you can just like give each other a look 
and Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) like what you're thinking. Um, and I love that. I love that. That was how that was presented in print. Like I've Mm -hmm. never really seen anything like that in, in YA because there's, to be honest, like there aren't a ton of female friendships presented out there in fiction, sadly. Mm -hmm. And I would love to see something like this on screen. Um, because I feel like that, you know, like that nonverbal communication can be very well acted. Like if you have good actors. Oh yeah. Um, which is also why, like, I'm so glad that E.K. Johnston was the one to write this book, because, mm-hmm. like, how many, especially if it was a man who wrote the book, how many other authors would have thought to be like, okay, yes, this is fashion, but how do we also make it weapon? Yeah. <laughs> Which is really fucking cool. And, like, the, you can see the amount of time and energy and thought that she put into Naboo culture specifically with the queen and the handmaidens and it's just it's such a it's so obvious that this is a work of love from her um oh yeah I love too that parallel that parallel of like your clothing being armor and like mm-hmm. makeup and hair and shoes and then that stuff kind of being armor mm-hmm. <laughs> because as someone who has to I have to dress like professionally when I go to work I definitely like I feel that like yeah I can't dress a certain way that draws attention to my body or mm-hmm. I can't like I have to be careful when I wear animal print or red lipstick or mm-hmm. how high my heels are or like how short my skirt is like just depending on where I'm going for the day right. and like just being conscious of that and just um I don't know feeling like protected Mm-hmm. In a way, clothing feels like protective to me, and I know other women probably feel the same way. Like, yeah, um, same with makeup and yep. having your hair done. Like, um, there's I, I don't really know the words to describe that. Someone else could probably put that into words much better than I could. But there's something about that. I know people like to throw around that, like, oh, you don't need makeup. Like, it's a patriarchal thing. But there, mm-hmm. there's also like an element of um, like not only pride and creativity, but, um, like, uh, it's like a suit of armor sometimes yeah. Yeah. to protect you from the patriarchy. <laughs> right. No, you're absolutely right. I feel like even though we're saying things that we don't have the words to put them to, like other women and, and femmes like listening to this are nodding their heads being like, yeah, I get you. I fucking get you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we could, we could talk, we could talk a whole episode about yeah. <laughs> about that to be yeah. honest because yeah. there's there's a lot there and yeah. I don't think I have the words for that at this at this point in time but something we could definitely think about yeah one thing that I really loved about this is Padme's internal dialogue mm. um specifically her instinct to be petty and then <laughs> her talking herself down like she's like I hate that I hate this person I shouldn't hate them so I'm not going to hate them but I still hate them <laughs> like and uh-huh. I hate myself for hating them like uh-huh I was like, oh my God, that's me. <laughs> but I'm not as I'm not a good enough person to be like, but I'm not gonna hate them because I'll just still hate them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is where like <laughs> so a lot of people when they're talking about Padme and Anakin and Luke and Leia, like the obvious parallels are Padme and Leia, because politicians and women and Luke and Anakin because Jedi and dudes. But like I strongly believe this is a hill I will die on that Luke is far more like Padme and Leia is unfortunately far more like Anakin sometimes. No, I agree. Yeah. And this instinct to be petty, but like being like, I hate that. I hate them, but I'm not going to do anything about it. That's so Luke. Cause if Leia (laughs) hates somebody, you fucking know Leia hates somebody. (laughs) That is so true. And that's how I am. (laughs) Luke knows how to like 
assess his feelings and then kind of take it back a notch and like make a choice um and you talked about that on your like your solo episode a lot but um no that total that's totally a luke trait right Mm -hmm. there but leia's so fucking impulsive yeah oh yeah (laughs) um and she's just all feeling and 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 fire and it's great and that's what we love about her but this it it was just nice to be like oh Padme's human like because we think Mm -hmm. of Padme as very like she's so noble and she has such good intentions all the time but it's like people who act with good intentions can still have that monologue of like oh fuck them like yeah I'm gonna do the right thing anyway (laughs) right right (laughs) right be nice (laughs) right like I feel like this this novel doesn't present Padme as perfect and that's really nice to see it's important yes (laughs) <laughs> because I feel like a lot of the times we get, we get these, when we get female pers- characters that are female from perspectives uh, that aren't from women, we tend to get this like, you know, they're they're absolutely perfect. They're a shining beacon of light. Um, <laughs> nothing can ever be wrong with them kind of thing. Like, I didn't read much Legends. Everything I know about Legends is from Rogue Padron, so take this with the biggest grain of salt in the world. <laughs> but, like, I remember when they read uh, Courtship of Princess Leia, like, I was, like, listening Lord. to that them talk about it. I'm like, this is not Leia. She sounds like she's, she's like, this perfect person who can do no wrong, and how dare you assume or, or can't, you know, tell her she's wrong or something like that. But, like, you get Claudia Gray writing Leia, and she's mm-hmm. flawed. Because she yeah. is, because she's a person. It's the same thing with Padme. Is I feel like everybody puts her on this pedestal of here's this angelic, perfect human being. Anakin does that, and look at what happens to Anakin. But Padme is flawed. She's a petty ass bitch, but she can control it. <laughs> she's naive at some times, yeah. and she. I wouldn't say being a romantic is a flaw, but sometimes she can be too romantic to a fault. So, I mean, it's just, it's nice to see Padme have flaws. And it's nice to see that she's, like, unsure of herself, but she's willing to try different things to see if they work. Like, I feel like that is the whole point of this book is, like, her trying to figure out what works Mm -hmm. for her new persona. Yeah. (laughs) And, And it's kind of funny how she realizes that being more herself is what works. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I thought that was a very, um, a very intentional um, yeah. theme. <laughs> People always fail at trying to be who they're supposed to be. They do. Instead of being who they are. I don't think we can talk about that yet. <laughs> God <laughs> damn it, but wait. it's so good! <laughs> Maybe next week we can God talk about that. <laughs> we both put this in the notes. <laughs> um, Bail Organa. <laughs> oh my God. Give us more of him always. I love Bail Organa. <laughs> I love that we got to see Alderaan and we got a little bit more time with Breha Mm -hmm. like so beautiful so lovely to like have that relationship back in a narrative like I miss them yeah (laughs) it sounds stupid but yeah and there's just there's something that really fucking hurts about Leia's moms talking on Alderaan and like her mom's like oh my god (laughs) and like there's there's an exchange between them where they were because they they talk about the difference between being an elected monarch and um one that inherits the monarchy by birth um Breus is something along the lines of like well you know it's nice because your children will never have to worry about the burdens of politics or something like that if they don't want to um, and then it's just ironic. like oh 
stop. <laughs> <laughs> it hurts, but in a good way. It really makes you wonder if, like, Padme would have lived, like, what Leia would have done. Like, would she have followed in her mother's footsteps and been a politician? Or would she have gone on to be, like, a Naboo singer or, yeah. like, an artist somehow? Like, yeah. That's so... In- God There's probably it, a fanfic about that. I'm sure there is. <laughs> um, the other character that I was really happy to see in this book is Mon Mothma, which mm-hmm. was a surprise. I wasn't expecting her to be in this. Yeah. Um, and she kind of, we see a different side of Mon Mothma. She's, we see like a colder side mm-hmm. of her, like a less trusting side, which I mean, when we meet her in Leia Princess of Alderaan, she's like warm and is trying to mentor Leia. And when we see her in Rogue One, like she is this, like this very specific type of leader that is, you know, trying to do the right thing and trying to give everyone a voice, but you know, she wants it to go a certain way. And when it does, she's happy about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, And then we see a, you know, in Endgame, and oh my god, what's his name in those books? Aftermath, like as a different, totally different leader that's really reluctant to like take action on anything. And so this was a very like decisive, very like a little bit of, of a frosty Mon Mothma, yeah. and it was interesting to see that side of her. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like obviously, like she she was playing politics, like she's doing oh, yeah. it because on paper Padme is not trustworthy, <laughs> like, right? Right. She it's she she reeks of nepotism. Um, even though we know that's mm-hmm. not what happens. Well, I don't know. Maybe Palpatine was already pulling those strings. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> um, trying to make sure that she was close to Anakin, but but like that and like at that point, Padme's hanging out with Mina Bonteri and like Bail right. and Mon Mothma are kind of like I don't know about that. But like Mon has that entire party where she specifically invites Padme because she knows that Padme will be a distraction for her bail. Um, Uncle Anno. <laughs> yeah, what's his what's his name? Anno, uh, Anaconda, Anaconda or something like that. <laughs> Anaconda. <laughs> something like that, yeah. The, um, the... Remember his Uncle Anno. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Anno, yeah, 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 him. Um, yeah. Them and, you know, some other people to talk about their talkings about their their committee things um yeah which i also enjoy padme finding out that that's exactly why she wants padme there and so padme's like she wants a distraction i'll give her a distraction and i'm like oh right? we love a petty queen but yeah it's a very interesting side of mon that we don't get to see that often i enjoyed it a mm-hmm. lot and it, we see a little bit of that a little bit of that with bale too like yeah. he's a little frosty at first um and I was a little hurt by that. Like, when yeah. that first happened, I was like, no, like, you guys are besties. Like, don't treat her like that. You're going but to raise her like, daughter, he was- you asshole. <laughs> I know, but obviously they warm up to each other. Right. And it's fine. Right. But I was just like, I don't like this. But right. He has to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you wish was done differently? Um, I, I Literally, all I wrote in our notes was give the Tatooine plot the respect it deserves. Yeah, like, that's that was my biggest gripe with this book was that the Tatooine plot felt like it was mentioned and then dropped and yeah slavery is a very difficult issue to tackle um Mm -hmm. and the trauma surrounding that is very difficult to tackle and I didn't expect E.K. Johnston to do that in one novel (laughs) um one YA novel by any means um but I do wish that there was there was more of it and that it was given the respect it deserves 
also the optics of a white woman writing about slavery yeah. even if it's in a fictional galaxy like yeah. I would rather have a black woman yep. <laughs> write that write that book to be yep. honest so um so yeah I agree I uh, I, I in general want more wanted more plot mm-hmm. I I mean I understand why there wasn't um and I was expecting more I mean, there was a lot of senatorial intrigue, but I kind of was expecting more. Like, I feel like the Star Wars Senate is, like, full of drama queens. Yeah. And she could have way ramped up the drama in this book. Because <laughs> <laughs> you saw what Claudia Gray did with Bloodline. Oh, yeah. And I was kind of expecting that level of drama. But, I mean, nobody died and nothing was bombed. So <laughs> um, that seems like it's uh, not as dramatic. But in reality, this was pretty dramatic. <laughs> like, yeah. But yeah, and I, I kind of was thinking that there was going to be more about the separatist movement. Like we got little glimpses of it. And obviously, like we know who all the players are. So we were paying attention to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said before, like maybe there's more room for more story after this. Like mm-hmm. maybe this isn't the last we see of E.K. Johnston's take on Padme. I hope Which not. is kind of exciting. Yeah. Uh, so I know there's one thing that we both wish there was more of <laughs> in this book. <laughs> And we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to go into our next topic. Um, so how do you feel about the queer representation in this book? Um, so I hmm, – mixed opinion. <laughs> a mi- a mixed, <laughs> mixed bag of feelings. So this was one of the things that we talked at length about on Sapphic Skywalkers, which if y'all aren't subscribed to them or aren't listening to them, what the fuck are you doing? How dare you? Um, I, I can't remember – when or how but like it was kind of hinted that we would get some queerness in this book because it's ek johnston writing it um we got some in ahsoka which i don't think anybody was expecting and to her credit we did um two of padme's Mm -hmm. handmaidens sache and yane are gay and are together or you know what we assume are gay because they don't say if like they're bi or pan or whatever um and they're in a relationship and that relationship is very mature in that like basically when they're done being handmaidens they're like we're gonna move in together and we're going yanni's gonna adopt a bunch of kids and (laughs) she's gonna have a (laughs) orphanage for them while i'm doing like government stuff but you only get that mentioned very 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 briefly and then they're never seen together again (laughs) yeah um which sucks but at the same time like i'd rather have that than nothing at all this very yeah. much so confirmed queer relationship in which it's really normal. Like there's nothing weird about the fact that they're going to, that they're together first of all, and that they're going to have this life after being handmaidens together. And then we get some, I don't even, they're not even hints. Like she basically out, Sabe basically outright says that she's into both men and women and everything in between. I think a lot of people's issues with this is that she's still with a man throughout this book. Yeah. Um, And this is where my thoughts get mixed, where I'm so fucking glad that they put in the fact that Sabe is bi or pan or, you know, however she identifies. Um, I just say bi because I project. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, There's... There's a difference when it comes to queer representation. There's a big difference between showing and telling. And I feel like in this, we got told that she's mm-hmm. possible that she's bi, um, but not shown because she is with a man, except for when she's just like, when she was into the waitress that served her at a Dex's diner, 
she was like, I'm not usually into non-humanoid people, but like, I'm into you. Um, she hot. Yeah, she, <laughs> she hot. And then we also, I think, I personally think it pretty explicitly like that she is in love with Padme. Yeah. And she tells, oh, what the hell is his name? Hang on. I have it bookmarked. Tanra. Tanra. <laughs> He's the one who is played by Richard Armitage in The Phantom Menace. Um, what? In the background. Yep. He's in the background of um, when Padme reveals herself as Amidala. Oh, crazy. I didn't realize that's who that was. Yeah. I didn't know who that was either. I was picturing him as a black guy when I was reading this. Would have been nice. I was nice. not picturing him as Richard Armitage at all. <laughs> no. Nope. <laughs> all right. Yep. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, Sabe and Tanra is his name, Richard Armitage. Um she he's the one that goes with her to Tatooine, and so they become close friends while they're on this, um, and they come back together on Coruscant and stuff like that. And they're they're close; they have a very good yeah. relationship together. And it's it's very explicitly stated that he is into her, yes. like before all of this yes. happens. Like, but there's oh, it's okay. So this is after so Sabe hasn't seen Tanra at their little apartment on Coruscant for a while because she's been caught up with Padme stuff. She says, it's so easy to get caught up in Padme's orbit, but I miss the work we do here. She's been your friend for a long time, Tanra said. It makes sense that you get caught up in her when you're with her. It's more than that, Sabai said. She finished the ration bar and wiped the crumbs off her hands. It was never easy to explain, even to the closest of insiders, the bond that all the handmaidens shared. You love her, Tanra said. Sabe froze. Of course I do, she said. She met his gaze. It's a complicated relationship. She can order me to my death, and I will go. And she knows it. We've worked so hard to maintain a balance we will never truly have. As far as I can see, she will always pick Naboo, and I will always pick her. So, I know. I have, like... (laughs) That just made me really sad. I know. I feel like I have... (sighs) There is a power dynamic in the relationship. And so I feel like even if, so I went into this book assuming Padme was going to be queer and that she was going to have some type of relationship with one of her handmaids. But when I read this passage, I was like, Padme wouldn't do that yep. because there is a power dynamic in their relationship and she is the one who's in control yep. and she wouldn't want that. Right. Even though she ends up in a relationship that is like that, but mm, you know, with man, <laughs> <laughs> but um, as long as Sabe is working for her, mm-hmm. like, they she won't give off that she has feelings or attempt to to have anything more right I think right so this is this is what I talked about um on sapphic skywalkers is that I feel like like Sabe says she will always pick Padme so like even if she was with Tanra and all of a sudden the next day Padme was like I want you she'd be like sorry bud (laughs) like Padme's it for her that is her person in more ways than one they're they still get into a relationship anyway uh, sabe and tanra they they still have this relationship and i don't feel like that well i know that that doesn't take away from her queerness but i saw their relationship more so as people who do love each other um but there are many different kinds of love like i love my partner differently than i love my best friend and so, like, they deeply love each other and have a respect for one another, and they do enjoy being together, but they're not each other's person. Does that make sense? I feel like I feel like their relationship is a relationship of convenience. Yes. 
like they're working together they're living in close quarters like they're into each other obviously mm-hmm. like there is still that element but I have a feeling if Tanra went and worked elsewhere and Sabe worked elsewhere like it would they would be like okay cool which Let's- they do yeah <laughs> in, in the epilogue like when they get back like when they they get back together um Sabe mentions like she's had others and she knows that he has in the time they've been apart too like they wouldn't fight to be together no. like at all costs like and and I think and, and Sabe makes it pretty clear to him like if you are choosing me you're also choosing her um because yeah. she is part of who I am and then they do the dirty God, that's a mind fuck <laughs> That is, <laughs> you're fucking Padme yeah. too. <laughs> really? Yeah, basically. Um, wonder if their role play includes things like. Oh that. God! I'm sorry. <laughs> the Amidala voice. Sorry. <laughs> anyway. No, I love it. I bet there's a fan fiction about that too. <laughs> I bet there is. Um, that is such a mindfuck. So much of her identity is wrapped up in being Amidala and Padme. Like. Ha- who are you like outside of that? She doesn't know. And Oh my God, there's so much storytelling potential to explore there, especially after Padme's death. Who do I become now that she's gone? Yes. Give it to me. Oh my God. (laughs) But yeah, that's, we need a Sebae novel. Yes, please. But that's how I felt about her and Tanra's relationship. There's that example of like showing and, or telling and not showing, because I felt like it would have been more impactful in terms of, queer representation if she had been with a woman instead um yeah but at the same time like it's made pretty clear that sabe is bi and so like i don't know i feel like i mean those relationships are common like you're in a relationship like that i think (laughs) i think that's where it hits me the most is like seeing people being like well you know this doesn't count it's bullshit and i'm just it's like a double-edged sword where I'm like, you're right, yeah. because it would have meant more and been better if she was with a woman. But at the same time, it feels like you're saying the fact that she was with a man erases her queerness. Does that erase mine? Do you, yeah. do you, are you thinking the same thing about me when you see me with my partner? Yeah, and I think that comes down to like the scarcity concept yes. in representation. Like the fact that we don't have enough queer relationships in Star Wars it makes it so that like the one bi relationship that we see that's very explicit, like you hold on to and it has to represent all bi relationships. Right. But really, that's not how it exactly. works. <laughs> like exactly. if we had multiple relationships presented in our fiction they don't all have to the one relationship doesn't have to mean the one you know all for everyone like so let's fix that star wars (laughs) please please so that abby doesn't have to have an existential crisis (laughs) i'm tired i am very small and i don't have a lot of money so you can imagine the stress i'm under (laughs) okay so let's talk about queer baiting yeah um because i don't I don't think that E.K. Johnston does no. that in this book. I think that she really tries to make sure that it is, it's represented mm-hmm. well, um, even with the complexities of having a bi woman in a committed relationship with a man, because mm-hmm. that's a complex relationship. That's not a necessarily a binary thing. Right. Like I think our our main pop culture fandoms, Marvel and <laughs> Star Wars, do a lot of queer baiting. Sure um, and I I think our listeners would agree. And um, do you want to kind of go into like what that means yeah. for those who aren't familiar with it? Yeah. So I, I, I did some academic research, so I wasn't just <laughs> pulling things out of my ass. 
Um, but queer baiting is basically what creators do to try and draw in queer audiences by implying or hinting at queer relationships that'll never happen. So we see this a lot in our two big fandoms, Star Wars and Marvel, um, specifically with like Finn and Poe. Um, and like Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes, I think are the two real big ones um, within those fandoms that we get. Um, and then uh, in my academic research, I found that uh, on fanlore.org, the term was originally used by politicians to bring up details of an opponent's orientation as a way of attacking them. But then the term was taken by queer theorists in the 90s to be given the meaning it has today. That's what we mean when we're talking about queer baiting. And I feel like it happens in almost every fandom imaginable. Oh, yeah. Harry Potter, yeah. for sure. Yeah. That's the one big one that I can think of that I've been a part of. Star Trek's pretty good about a queer representation now. Yeah, I've never seen Star Trek. <laughs> so I don't know. I okay. can't speak for that. I watch Discovery. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not a big, like, other Star Trek fan. But I think there's a reason for that. Um which I won't get into because I'm going to accept upset people. Um, but yeah, Marvel does this for yes. sure on every, in everything yes. like movies, television. I, I feel like some of their shows are getting better. Um, I have an agents of shield podcast. I can tell you there is one queer character <laughs> so far that has in five seasons. Yeah. <laughs> that is explicitly queer <laughs> and he dies. Oh, so cool, cool. barrier gaze. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's a very specific <laughs> tactic. Um, it is. Be Let's talk about, so I think it's best to give examples. Yeah. Um, if let's say you're listening to this and you don't quite understand the definition. So some examples in Star Wars specifically. So everyone knows what Storm Pilot is, <laughs> I'm assuming. Finn Poe. Yeah. Finn Poe. Good old Finn Poe. Um, you want to talk about that? So... <laughs> A lot of us feel that there's a lot of sexual chemistry between Finn and Poe, especially in The Force Awakens uh, with, is that my jacket? Oh my God, Keep it, lip it bite. you. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> and like, I remember uh, Oscar, Daisy, and John were on Ellen, and Ellen asks like about romantic relationships, and Oscar's like, well, you know, like I play it romantic, and like the only scene he has with people on that couch is with John. And like, this continued... <laughs> throughout the many years since 2015 of like I, I I don't think Oscar's trying to queer bait anybody by any means um I think Oscar's genuinely would be down for Finn and Poe being together um but I, I I feel like Oscar doesn't have control over the storytelling like like <laughs> anyone else maybe on the stage of the episode nine panel would yeah <laughs> Kathleen so. uh also JJ <laughs> uh, yep um <laughs> So yeah, so I feel like it's it's like it's a different um, set of responsibilities for yeah. him. Like he he's an yeah. actor. Like he he's a fan also. Like it's not like he's sitting there writing the right. script. Like it's not under his right. control. But then you get like creators kind of getting in on that. Like seeing oh you know like that gets the fans hyped up. Like Oscar's doing a good job of getting the fans hyped up. Like it's his job because <laughs> it is. And yeah. they kind of capitalize on that and. And then you never get to see any of it happen <laughs> or come to fruition. And then you have Rose kissing Finn at the end yeah. of The Last Jedi, confusing yep. all of us or making it seem like Finn is into Rey through all of The Force Awakens, mm -hmm. asking if she has a boyfriend. It's it's just... We'll see what episode nine brings. Yeah. But <laughs> I doubt. 
they're 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 being very sexy on that that skiff together in that desert planet <laughs> with 3PO as the as the chaperone. Maybe it's like maybe it's like that scene of Pirates of the Caribbean where Elizabeth and Will are getting married <laughs> during the battle and 3PO is officiating. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and they're getting married right now because they're being yeah. shot at and they only have so much more time yeah. to live and they can't let it and, go. And like Poe's like <laughs> quickly trying to scribble down that like in his will like Finn can get BB-8 and, <laughs> and he gets the force yeah. tree. <laughs> Um, let's talk about Lando because that is a more recent issue, uh-huh. and that involves a creator, <laughs> my best friend, which... <laughs> and John Caston. He oh, and I we're so close. Like we get coffee together. We just love each other. For the for those of you who don't know, <laughs> Abby got in an argument with John Caston on Twitter on this very subject. Um. He gave an interview talking about how Lando is pansexual, mm-hmm. um, but he clearly didn't understand what pansexual meant. He thought it just meant he fucks his robot, which <laughs> is great. And then there's nothing in the film that supports that statement right. at all. Right. <laughs> right. So <laughs> um, I <laughs> call Lando aggressively straight <laughs> in um solo even though he kind of has some flirty moments with han but yeah they make it pretty clear that him and l3 fuck um and it's a little uncomfortable considering that's like l3 sole purpose is to be there so we know that lando fucks droids and also to be cannon fodder and this is what happens if you're into droids rights you die um we're going to do a whole episode on Solo, yeah. so don't, don't you worry. You, we'll you, that. Don't you worry. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, he and John Kasdan, like, was giving him the biggest, himself the biggest fucking pats on the back for it. Like, he's like, yeah, Lando's pan. Ha ha ha, fuck all of you. And then we see the movie and we're like, no, it's not. And <laughs> so, I can't remember, this was many moons ago, where, like, some asshole was like, well, you know, like, space pansexuality could include droids and it's like okay cool sure but in order for representation to be representation it has to be a reflection of our real world and so in our real world pansexuality does not mean that you want to fuck droids uh i'm sure there's a term for that but it's not pansexuality um (laughs) pansexuality and bisexuality have the same meaning they're the same thing just two different words whatever somebody is the most comfortable with with identifying as but it means that you are attracted to men women and anybody who falls outside of the gender binary or between you know like anywhere on the gender binary scale which is very large even or if you have you don't fall on the gender binary scale if you consider yourself non-binary like that's included in that deal so And so that's what pansexuality includes. And so Lando wanting to fuck a female presenting droid is not pansexuality. Um, And John Caston doesn't want to understand that. I I feel like that would be more bestiality, if anything, because droids, I mean, and we could have a whole debate on this, but droids serve more of a purpose in a galaxy far, far away of like companions and like like dogs Mm -hmm. you know like hunting dogs or like 
house cats. Yeah. So it's like he fucked his pet essentially, which is like. <laughs> Yeah, BB-8 is totally a house cat. BB-8 is Hobbs, ah. like, 100%. Um, but, yeah, like, I mean, we can argue all day about, like, droid sentience mm-hmm. and, and and what they should, what they represent in a galaxy far, far away and all mm-hmm. that. But um, I think that's for a different conversation. But, I mean, if you're going on basically how they are treated by humans and by sentient other sentient beings in a galaxy far, far away, they yeah. are pets. Well, then that makes... <laughs> Oh, then that makes it even worse because, like, that's a huge argument with um, homophobes is, like, well, you know, if you're going to let people marry, like, if you're going to let women marry other women and men marry other men, like, what's next? People are going to be marrying their pets. So that just makes it 30 times worse. Thanks, John Kasdan. Yeah. It it just shows that he has no idea what he's talking about. And he tries to pretend like he he tried to pretend like he did. And then he didn't didn't try to learn from it. No, (laughs) no. He just doubled down, which was even better. But, you know, that's a whole we don't need to. (laughs) I don't need to rehash. It's in the past. I need to rehash my beef. Yeah. I'm not mad about it still. (laughs) I just... I mean, if you have someone from the queer community telling you that, like, the way you you view something is mm-hmm. incorrect, like, I'm sorry, but you're a white, cis, straight dude. But that's why he was correct. Like, don't push back. <laughs> that's, yeah, right? <laughs> He's an expert on pansexuality <laughs> because he is a, a scholar and he is also pansexual. Yeah. No. Like, <laughs> let's move on to Holdo because this is complicated. So we got a novel with young Holdo before The Last Jedi came out. So Leia, Princess of Alderaan, was in, um, or ooh, Holdo mm-hmm. was in Leia, Princess of Alderaan. And it was specifically, um, like, she was very direct about mm-hmm. her pansexuality. Yep. Like, Leia has this comment about, oh, I'm only into, like, humanoid dudes. And she's like, really? That's so limiting. She's like, it's okay, <laughs> Leia. We all told ourselves that at one point or another. <laughs> I'm still kind of telling myself that, but we'll get to that. <laughs> but then we got the last Jedi, and nothing. But like that's the thing, though, is like nothing about Holdo's personality except for like her hair color from Princess of Alderaan shows up in the Last Jedi. I feel like there's a little bit of her at the very end of Leia, Princess of Alderaan, when she goes on the adventure yeah. with Leia. Like, I feel like we see some of that Holdo, yeah. like that steely Holdo there. But yeah, most of it is is not right. there. And like, I, I chalk a lot of that up to like nine times out of ten, the authors only get so much information about the movie before they get to write their book. Oh, absolutely. And their yeah. books are coming out before the movie, which is kind of super frustrating and I understand why they do it but like at the same time then it opens up stuff like this to happen where Holdo is written as Pan and then isn't portrayed so in the movie so like is she you know like what's what's more canon I don't know so my opinion on that is the films reach more people and films have to be the um lynch point for representation above all else because I mean books are important comics are important tv shows are important and they are leading the charge on representation right now in star wars because they're I don't know they're more willing to take risks Mm -hmm. we talked about this on the star wars rep matters panel like maybe that's a reason why it's you know the production of a book versus the production of like a multi-million dollar film is to a studio that seems like too big of a risk especially if you're a disney and you're seen as a family company which is Mm -hmm. ridiculous that you can't 
show any LGBTQ relationships and be considered a family company in 2019. But whatever, that's a whole other thing. Obviously, we're unhappy (laughs) about this. But um, like the fact that it is not on the silver screen means that they don't think it's important enough to show to a white audience. Because representation is something that you have to work at. You don't just passively get it. Like, you have to write that shit into the script. (laughs) And the fact that you you don't write it into the script when fans are clamoring for something like this, and we have a fucking hashtag that Mm -hmm. talks about this shit once a month, which we didn't do this month, but we'll do it next (laughs) month, I promise. Um, (laughs) April's been crazy. Like, that it's not that you don't know right. you know like it's it's a blatant mm-hmm. choice to not mm-hmm. include it i actually got into a argument about this with somebody yesterday i think it was <laughs> yeah it was yesterday <laughs> of course um, <laughs> cuz i posted <laughs> so i downloaded tiktok to <laughs> be the, to be, be the Gen Z kid, I'm not because I'm a millennial. Um, but I do it so I can make dumb Star Wars memes. And I made one yesterday or the other day where it was like Marvel and Star Wars doing like a handshake. And like because neither of them have on screen LGBTQ plus representation in their films. And this guy fires back at me. Well, like Valkyrie is by and who was it for Star Wars that he said was... He said somebody from Star Wars was gay. And I was just like, okay, well, where do we see that on screen? And he's just like, well, there's there's still their sexuality, even if we don't see it. I'm like, okay, but where is it explicitly stated on screen? And we just went back and forth for the longest time where he loved to uh, explain what being queer meant was to me which was really cool. <laughs> um, and I was like, you don't need to queer explain me. I am queer. And he's just like, well, how dare you assume that I'm straight? And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, like this conversation's done. And it was, he didn't, he did apologize to me. I'll give him that. Except uh, he didn't apologize to me until another straight guy who was one of my friends came in and was like, dude, what the hell? And like explained to him why it needs to be ex- explicitly said, like I had been doing. And then he was just like, oh, I get it. I'm sorry. And I'm like, oh, of course. (laughs) Of course. It wasn't until another straight guy came and explained it to you. But yes, like, is Valkyrie still by in the MCU, even though, like, we don't see her say it? Sure. Because, like, I am, I contain multitudes and being by is one of them. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, like, at the same time, like, it's still part of me and deserves to be shown and said and you need representation to be explicit for it to count absolutely are we being queer baited with sabe in queen shadow i don't i feel like i know what you're gonna say i don't think so i feel like you're gonna say no yeah um i think it can be both i think it can be Yes, because of scarcity, Mm -hmm. because we don't have a lot of bi relationships represented in fiction, um, especially mainstream fiction. And I think it could be no, because it this is a very specific relationship Mm -hmm. that is real and it is representative of something that is is real. I feel like I have a hard time answering this question because I have. I, I have a personal connection to it. Um, I'm too emotionally involved (laughs) in the in that conversation. Well, 
And by erasure is yeah. such a huge yeah. issue too, especially in the LGBTQ <laughs> community. Like I can't, I mean, like I only see mm-hmm. glimpses of it, but, and I'm like, I don't consider myself queer. I'm just mm-hmm. here. <laughs> um, but I pay attention right. to that stuff because if I ever decide I want to identify a certain way, like I feel like I want to know what I'm getting myself into as far as my community. Right. And I'll be honest, that shit doesn't look fun. It kind of sucks. <laughs> Cause like, I don't know if I want to claim that ever. It's, just, like, it's constant. It's like, being bi is never being gay enough for the gay community or straight enough for straight people. So it's like being biracial. So you understand. <laughs> yeah. I can relate to. Um, yeah. And, and, and you feel like you're constantly having to justify yourself, which I'm more than sure you can relate to. And, and clamoring oh, yeah. for a position of um, acknowledgement from your community uh and it's exhausting and frustrating. And so like when I see Sabe who is bi and in a relationship with a man, I'm like, Oh my God, it me. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. We don't have these relationships otherwise in star Wars. And so in terms of representation, it would have meant more if she was in a relationship with a woman. Um, She could have had the relationship reversed. Like she could have been in a relationship with a woman and been checking out a male identifying yeah. waiter yeah. like i mean right. that could have been a thing um i don't know we just need more because you can't have one relationship representing right. everyone because like you said we are people we contain mm-hmm. multitudes <laughs> like <laughs> it's okay to have more than right. one right. <laughs> so we should just have like a, a completely queer star wars mm. novel or movie so that like all types of relationships and identities are represented yeah. on screen and it's just like the LGBTQ community yeah. in Star Wars. This is this them. This is us. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pride in Star Wars. Like, uh, yeah. how fucking awesome would that be? Um, I want to talk about explicitly queer characters in Star Wars because I could only mm-hmm. find three. And I don't know if maybe our listeners have more than three, but I'm going to explain why I only chose three because explicit mm-hmm. is the key word here. Dr. Afra from the Darth Vader and Afro comics created by mm-hmm. Kieran Gillen. She has a girlfriend. And they make out. <laughs> like, that mm-hmm. is explicit. And you see them <laughs> afterwards from banging. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's explicit. Um, Sinjir from the Aftermath series created by Chuck Wendig has a boyfriend. And they also make out. Yeah. <laughs> And then Caden from the Ahsoka novel by E.K. Johnston. Um, this one, there's a big asterisk there because she doesn't explicitly have a relationship that's shown in the novel, but she definitely has a thing mm-hmm. for Ahsoka and everyone teases right. her about it. Like, they're like, oh, you like her. And, so, she, and she makes it pretty known when she's like, I could kiss you. And then Ahsoka's like, I don't know what to do with that information. And she's just <laughs> like, I would totally date you if it weren't for the whole Jedi thing. And Ahsoka's like, thanks. poor like ascetic ahsoka who's been trained not to be around romance her entire life and she's confronted by this like beautiful bi woman or maybe lesbian woman i don't know what she identifies as and she's just like like, overwhelmed (laughs) (laughs) yeah girl pretty huh (laughs) and then i guess the other explicitly queer characters are the ones we talked about within queen shadow with sache and yane and sabe yeah, apparently there's some other super minor characters in Aftermath. Like, I think um, Nora's sister 
has a mm-hmm. wife. I can't remember her name though. And then I feel like there's another there's another character in Lords of the Sith that is explicitly queer also, but I don't remember who they are. Um, I was doing <laughs> research before this, but like these are like the main three that have relationships or like they're like, hey, I like mm-hmm. you, and you're not a cis white dude and not a lady. Yeah. <laughs> so um, Star Wars has queer characters. Um, Just not a lot. They're all yep. in print. Nothing on screen yet, which Mm -hmm. sucks. So thank you, authors (laughs) and comic writers, for creating these characters. They're wonderful. They're wonderful characters. Sinjur is one of my favorite characters in all of canon. Like, he's just so damaged, (laughs) and I just love him so much. (laughs) And Kaden is amazing. Afra, I haven't read her comics, but she is, like, a fan favorite. she's so wonderful. Um, I need to read her comics. I just get overwhelmed because there's so many. It's very overwhelming. <laughs> and I was like, wait, I have to read Darth Vader first because that's yeah. where she's introduced. I like don't want to be confused, so I don't know where she comes from. So I'm like, but then there's a yep. lot of those too. Ooh, should we talk about that comic? Um, yeah. Or has um, it been exhaustively talked about online? <laughs> I mean, we could. Yeah. I think the one thing I'll say is it is yeah. complicated. Because that story trope is yep. problematic, but the way it was presented and the way it was written and who it was mm-hmm. written by yes. is not okay. Like, and that's the main yep. problem. Um, and I love that. I love how fandom and um, fan artists have like taken this character and mm-hmm. named her and given her an identity outside of what she was intended yep. to be. Like, that makes me so happy. And fuck maybe she'll be in something now because that'd be awesome that'd be really cool yeah that's all i have to say ditto (laughs) (laughs) if you don't know what we're talking about look up google darth vader what's the name of the thing Uh, no that's the video game um something darth vader something uh, it's not the regular darth vader series it's the other one (laughs) (laughs) god I sound like I know what I'm talking about, right? Um, it is Darth Vader. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, something it's like, like the third issue or something, right? Issue number three. Yeah, don't read it. Don't don't give them money. Speaking of speaking of uh like crowd content <laughs> and fan created things. Yay! Let's talk about fan fiction and. This is weird because it doesn't seem like it ties into anything that we've been talking about, but it kind of does. So um, I used to read a lot of fan fiction when I was super into Harry Potter, and I kind of got a little overwhelmed at the amount of fan fiction that there is in the Marvel and Star Wars universes. So I was like, I don't have time for this. <laughs> um, but you read fan fiction, and I know a lot of a yes. lot of people read fan fiction, especially women. So for this one, I did some more researching too, which was really fun. Like I super encourage people to like look into the history of fandoms because like not specific fandoms. I mean, I guess you could, but like fandom as a whole, because it's so fucking interesting. Nine times out of 10, it's all helmed by women. So I also got this information from fanlore.org. Uh, fanfic has origins in 1939 within the sci-fi fandom. So sci-fi fandom is kind of, the um been coined as like the arbiters of fan fiction um and this was through the form of fanzines or simply zines um as amateur sci 
as amateur sci-fi or fiction by a fan about fans, which is kind of cool. Um, and then the earliest modern use of it was in Star Trek Lives, which was a book that was published in 1975 by Jacqueline Lichtenberg, <laughs> Sandra Marshak, and Joanne Winston. I really tried on that one. <laughs> um, which was, uh, this book documented Star Trek's popularity and the rise of Star Trek fandom, which is cool. Like three women wrote a whole ass book about fandom and gave us the modern version of what we, a lot of people consume within their respective fandoms today. So hell yeah, go women. It reminds me, it reminds me of the, um, the Star Wars zines started by women yeah. like early on in, in like the late seventies. I don't remember who was involved in that. Now I'm blinking off the top of my head. But look, I know for sure Looking for Leia has a segment on them when that docuseries finally comes out because yeah. Annalisa that, Feeling that is all about Stuff that like that life. is so cool to me. I remember reading – sorry, this is a little bit of a segue. But I remember reading a story that somebody had posted on Tumblr about at some sort of convention. So, you know, Zines have been not – is it Zines or Zines? I always say Zines, but maybe it is Zines. I've – I don't know. Um, I think it like magazines. Oh, zines. Shit. You're probably right. Yeah, I I don't know. I am. Yeah. I've never I heard it pronounced out loud. And zines really aren't a thing anymore. I mean, they are, but like not massively consumed like um, the way fanfic is now. But I remember reading this story that there was a convention. It wasn't strictly Star Wars, but obviously Star Wars content was going to be there. And there was this woman who wrote Sky Solo fan fiction basically so han and luke skywalker fan fiction mm. um and made a ton of zines about it but somebody this was before uh we found out that luke and leia were siblings um <laughs> somebody was a big luke and leia shipper <laughs> which womp womp for them um <laughs> uh and tried to block so this was all out of this girl's hotel room as she's handing people these things because like artist alley stuff like that really wasn't a thing the Luke and Leia shipper was like trying to blockade this girl into her hotel room so that way she couldn't get her zines out to people, which is just like, you know, the, <laughs> the same shit, like shipper shit that is going on in fandoms nowadays were happening way back in the 70s, too. So, That's hilarious. Right? Oh, my God. Right? <laughs> it's just so interesting. It's like it, it, oh, it's like history. It rhymes. Um, <laughs> or like poetry it rhymes poetry Pop. yeah <laughs> whatever history rhymes too <laughs> history what is it what's the phrase history repeats itself yes poetry it rhymes like it's like poetry it rhymes there we go it's like poetry it rhymes. mixing metaphors yep sorry it's George. fine we're drinking <laughs> <laughs> um but fanfic has been around for for fucking ever um basically any story with like mythological beings that's fanfic lots of shakespeare yeah. plays fanfic lots of things based <laughs> off shakespeare plays fanfic lion king is a fanfic um it's 10 things i hate about you yep, is, a, is a fanfic yep. <laughs> it's just like what if hamlet but lions fanfic <laughs> um, <laughs> 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 i'm picturing like Disney executives being pitched the story. <laughs> All right. We're going to set ourselves into the, the Serengetis of Africa. Now, do you all know the story of Hamlet? 
cool. It's that, but with lions. Please buy our movie. <laughs> and it's a musical. <laughs> yeah, but wait, they sing. <laughs> oh my god! And we're gonna cast. We're gonna cast James Earl Jones and Whoopi Goldberg in this film. <laughs> Oh my god. And instead of uh what's what's their name? Rosencrantz Guildenstern, it's going to be a uh a, a warthog and <laughs> a what the fuck is Timon? Meerkat. <laughs> that's fanfic. Y'all, that's fan fiction. <laughs> oh my god, I'm my ab and my face right now. <laughs> Oh, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey was originally fan fiction. That's a pretty commonly known yes. one. Um, I did know that. That was from Twilight. Yes, fanfic of Twilight, right? Twilight yeah. fan fiction. Um, um, so I heard a rumor: Master and Apprentice was born of fanfic. Really? Yes. What? I don't know if it's true, but there it is. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a lot of Star Wars um, novels are probably born of fan fiction. Yeah. Like, I'm sure these authors have, like, written these stories already. Well, didn't... And are just, like... Didn't Claudia Gray have that panel at Celebration where it was, like, so you're a fanfic author who wants to go pro? Yeah. So, I mean, it very well could be. Basically, like, any author using another author's character is fan fiction, in a way. Mm-hmm. So, lots of the things you know and love, fanfic. Lion King. <laughs> um, but uh, despite that, despite being the majority of things you know and love in terms of media being fan fiction, um, fan fiction is super like stigmatized and made fun of, especially by dudes. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's associated. It's considered like porn. Like yeah. a lot of times, like um, what am I trying to like self? Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Self-insert? Like, um, no, um, like it's like amateur porn. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of the times it's for men. Men see it as a way for like women to live out their fantasies through in fiction. And sometimes it is. Like, fuck you. Yeah. Of course it is. That's fun. How dare you? Did you not play pretend as a child too? You play video games. You play RPGs. You play tabletop games. Like that is you are fan fiction. <laughs> your D and D, yeah. Your D and D game. It's fan fiction. Congratulations, you're a fanfic author. <laughs> you all you dungeon masters out there. <laughs> yeah. That's actually so. This has kind of been coming up a lot uh, recently with I guess from Game of Thrones, um, the term Mary Sue was thrown a lot about mm. uh, around a lot about the last episode, which I don't watch Game of Thrones anymore, but I know what the conversation was. Um, but Mary Sue is the way I was introduced to it was originally a fanfic word um, as a way to say, this is my self insert basically like here is my yeah. original female character um, that I am putting into like, let's say Harry Potter. Um, and they're very blatantly me, but like some, there are some differences like the name and I find a way to make it make sense that an American would go to Hogwarts just so that they could date Harry Potter. Like, I don't know. I'm not being specific. 
Is this coming from experience no. in writing fan fiction? No. Abigail? <laughs> no. <laughs> hmm. Maybe. <laughs> but like that was my understanding of what a Mary Sue was because like I remember when seeing that term thrown around in like 2015 for Ray and I'm like no, that's huh? not JJ's self insert. <laughs> Ray is not JJ's self insert. <laughs> but yeah. Um so it's also it's also hilarious to me that that men will take fan fiction terms and use them however they want while also demonizing, I guess, uh fan fiction. So I in my research I also found some studies, which was really fucking cool. I love I cool. love when oh, this kind of stuff happens. So fanfiction.net was, that was my primary um, medium of fanfiction when I was a kid. <laughs> mm-hmm. Before that was live journal. Yeah, live journals where I found a lot of my fanfiction yeah. I feel like it went from like live journal <laughs> to fanfiction.net to archive of our own. I feel like Tumblr is in there too yeah. a little bit because I used to read a lot of Marvel fanfic on Tumblr. Yeah. Um, Lots of Tony, Tony, Steve. Yeah, <laughs> they were my first Marvel ship. Yeah, good stuff. Same. Good stuff. <laughs> Some great fan art of that ship, too. Good lord, back when you could draw <laughs> penises on Tumblr, <laughs> not get it taken down. Yeah. Um, but basically, fanfiction.net. Um, either they did a study or somebody else did a study for them, and. They did the study in 2010, found that based on their sample set of the users who disclosed their gender, and for this, they only used male or female. So big, 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 big grain of salt. 78% identified as female. And then I found an archive of their own census, which was way more inclusive and had way cooler data and explanations Mm -hmm. and charts and graphs. And so we will link that into the description if you want to check it out, because I was fascinated. The archive of our own census was done in 2013 and found that of the respondents to the census, 90.3% identified as female. And this was given, you know, you were given a lot of options in terms of um, identifying your gender. Um, so it wasn't just male and female on there. Interesting. Yeah. Of those who responded to the census, more respondents selected gender queer than selected male. Wow. Yeah. It was like a good couple of, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it was a good couple of like percentage points of a difference. And then like age wise, the average age was 25. So, so uh, it, it, it makes sense as to why men are like, Ooh, it's only a woman thing. And a lot of the times they're like, it's a young woman thing. It's a teenage girl thing. And then it's even more laughable to them because, you know, teen girls can't have fun. Apparently. Everything about everything about teen girl culture is something to be made fun of. So And so this next part is where we kind of tie in our queer baiting conversation. Because queer fans are so often queer baited by the fandoms that they participate in, and our, we consistently get our hopes up to only have them dashed and never see ourselves or the relationships we want on screen, we turn to fan fiction. And yep. and fanfic, f- for a lot of people, I know, um, but also for, for queer folks in particular, it's like a safe haven. I, <laughs> I'm cynical and feel like I will never see 
two women in a loving relationship on screen in Star Wars, but I can find it somewhere in fan fiction. And that's comforting in a way. It's so usually fan fiction ends up being the only place we can actually see ourselves within our chosen fandom universes, which part of me says like, it's cool that we're able to come together and create this like, like um, many women did with, the character from the Vader comic, they were like, screw you, we're giving her a name, we're giving her a backstory, and she she is a person. It's very much so the same within the the queer side of fandom with fanfic, is if you're not going to give us those relationships, we're going to give them to ourselves. And that's kind of empowering, yeah. but it's also sad that we have to do that. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, <laughs> so... I also, in this, in the archive of our own census, they had a whole section on um, sexuality and which was awesome because more graphs and stuff. And that was awesome. (laughs) Um, Basically confirmed what I already knew that quote unquote slash fic is pretty popular. And so slash fic typically refers to two men in a relationship or two women in a relationship. Um, Usually for women, it's called femme slash. And in terms of the categories preferred with uh, regards to sexuality, of those who responded, 89.7% of them preferred to read male slash fic, and only 44.1% of them preferred to read femme slash. My little woman brain (laughs) kind of has lots of question marks. I have a question mark at the numbers there. So like, if obviously like this question would have been a select all that you prefer to read versus a and or because the percentage points don't add up. Oh, there was also multiple different. Those were, uh, yeah, those were the only two options. I should have made that clear. (laughs) Sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's okay. I'm a data person too. So I was like, wait a minute. This question obviously was phrased a very specific way because. No, no, no. Like it it also had like female male and a couple of other different options. Those were the only, like, those were the ones that I cared about the most (laughs) and the ones that jumped out to me Um, because there's such a huge disparity in terms of um, those who are reading they prefer to read um, uh, male slash fic than femme slash. And when you look at 90, whatever, 90.3% are women. I just, I, I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. And the, the census also said that four time there are four times as many femme slash readers as there were creators. So it tells wow. you like, there's a lot of people who want it, but not a lot of people who are yeah. writing it, which is also like, you know, writing's not everybody's talents. So you know, I get it. And this might be a hot topic issue, (laughs) but um, (laughs) hmm. this has been something that I've felt that I have experienced a lot in terms of my participation of fandom. And and in particular, my participation within fanfic and fandom is that straight women do read a lot of slash fic that tends to be male slash fic and not femme slash ever. I will admit I am an straight I identify mm-hmm. as a straight woman and I read mostly mm-hmm. male slash fic. Of those surveyed who are male slash fic fans, twenty-five to thirty twenty-five to thirty-six percent were both hetero and female. Um and then they went even deeper in terms of like sexuality and uh, thick type with readers. Um for straight women only 22.3% of them read femme slash um, and 85% of them read male slash fic 
and then 55% reading heterosexual fan fiction. So again, there's like that huge disparity, <laughs> I feel like, yeah, um, between the kinds, you know what, you know what I hmm. chalk that up to? Patriarchy. Yeah. There's a lot of different like theories and thoughts as to why that be- <laughs> the patriarchy is a huge one. The acceptability and comfort, comfortability, being comfortable with penises and not vaginas. Yeah. And kind of like the very different ways that gay men are sexualized versus gay women are sexualized. So gay men get sexualized um, sort of by women a lot in like the form of my gay best friend kind of trope. You know, you want your gay best friend to to go shopping with you and you can be naked around them and it's okay because they're gay and stuff like that. But then the way that women, gay women are typically um, sexualized is by porn (laughs) by men searching for lesbian porn and are they looking at it because they love the physical and emotional and sexual connection between two women no they love it because it gets their dicks hard so (laughs) um (laughs) so i think it has something to do with that too of like what's acceptable gayness you know what i mean yeah yeah so in terms of writing fanfic uh less than five percent of femme slash writers were hetero and female. In terms of writers who were hetero and female, 22% of them wrote female male fic. And then um, for male slash fic was 35% for hetero women. So again, a huge disparity. And I, I talked about yeah. my personal feelings uh, with regard to that when you mentioned the patriarchy stuff. It's just, I, I feel like gay men are more palatable to straight women. I don't say like, I know that that's not the truth for you, Um, (laughs) but like, I feel like, I don't know. That's been my experience with straight women. I think too, there is possible, this is (laughs) controversial. There is possibly an element of Mm -hmm. homophobia Mm -hmm. there. Um, Male slash fic is something that you don't have to worry about as a straight woman because you're not going to be involved in that or that's not Mm -hmm. threatening to you versus femme slash, if that makes sense. And if like sexually threatening to you. Yeah. And if you're if you are a woman who is Googling, am I gay for reading femme slash and also looking at lesbian porn all the time? Like maybe (laughs) I (laughs) I've been there. We're learning lots. Yeah, we're, we're getting real personal lots about me today. <laughs> uh, I also wanted to do a little bit of my own research. It's poorly done research, not you know headed by the APA or anything like that. You have, um, you have like one source, mm-hmm. and yep. it's like mm-hmm. Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> so I did a search on Archive of Our Own because that is my preferred fanfic reading site of two different fandoms to find out what the number one tagged ship in that fandom was. And the two fandoms were Marvel Cinematic Universe and Star Wars. And um, for those who are specifically interested, I specifically chose the Marvel Cinematic Universe tag and the Star Wars All Media Types tag. So what do you think is the number one tag ship in the MCU tag on Archive of Our Own? can be any, any gender. gender. Um, shit. Well, now I would say it's Valkyrie and Carol, but... Before before Captain Marvel came out, I would say it's Tony and Steve, or maybe Steve Bucky. It I don't is know. Even Bucky. <laughs> with 
38,337 fix with that tag. Holy The, <laughs> the runner-up <laughs> is Tony and Steve with 23,015. Okay. And then the third place is Pepper and Tony with 11,559. Oh, that's boring. So <laughs> what do you think is the number one femme slash ship? I would have said Valkyrie and Carol, but now I don't know. It is Peggy and Angie Martinelli from Agent Carter. Okay. And they were number 25 <laughs> uh, with 1,792. Number 25? I didn't really go that far, but wow. I didn't come across Carol and Valkyrie. I'm sure there's plenty. I'm sure there's some out there, but I didn't want to go that far because I didn't want to get sad. <laughs> I would have yeah. expected there to be more of that, but wow, it's crazy that it's yeah. 25. And then the second one, I can't. I didn't write it down, but it was another one that I think was um, an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., because I think it was Daisy and some other girl <laughs> that I don't know because <laughs> I haven't watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Simmons? Maybe. Daisy and Simmons? Probably. Okay. Interesting. So, yeah. So none in the main movies. I mean, I guess Peggy, but this is within her TV show. Well, you know, there weren't much to choose from <laughs> until recently. Yep. So <laughs> All right. there you go. Moving on to Star Wars. What do you think is the number one tag ship in the Star Wars tag? Luke and Han. Not even close. What is it? Uh, it it's Kylo Ren and Rey. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, duh. I was like, really? That's the one you're going to go with when Raylo's right there? <laughs> wow, I feel really stupid. I I knew that. I don't know why. I was thinking, like, the sequel trilogy didn't count for some reason. <laughs> no, they are in the lead. <laughs> but you looked at before. They are in the lead with 9,644. With a super close runner up of Hux and Kylo Ren at 9,542. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> I love that yeah. Kylo's life. What do you think is the number one femme slash fic pairing? I have no idea. Ray Rose, but that's only because those are the only two women that are like close in age. <laughs> nope. It is Barris and Ahsoka at number 49. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. With 146. 144. Um, and then the next one is number wow. 54 with Jessica Pava and Ray at 135 fix. Before okay, that, <laughs> at 300 fix, there are <laughs> 300 fix about Matt the radar technician and some random other character that Donald Gleason has played. So, oh my God. You might be wondering, wow. why does that matter? I'm just trying to make a point that people don't fucking care about femme slash fic. <laughs> I mean, people do, but... They care about the dudes and the streets, and it's frustrating. <laughs> that is. I apologize for uh, being a part of Listen, that culture, like, I, but I, I, right. I like what I like. Sorry. I need a shit ton of Steve and Bucky fanfic. Like, I'm not, you know, out of this too, but, like, it's really hard sometimes to find good femme slash fic, and it's frustrating. Man. Yeah. That's crazy. There you have it. All you ever wanted to know about Abby's preferences and my preferences for fan fiction. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh. Do we have any reviews? Um, we have a five-star review from Cell Shaded, and they say Jess and Abby offer an unabashedly opinionated and unreservedly insightful look into the galaxy far, far away. Their love for the story shines through brightly in their discussion, but they're also not afraid to offer critique when it's where it's due, particularly when it comes to representation. So thank you, Cell Shaded. We appreciate it. That is especially poignant <laughs> for, today's for today's episode. Two-hour <laughs> episode. Where can people find you on social media? They can find me at Abby M. Cecilia. Where can they find you? 
You can find me at Space Jess with four S's in the Jess. You can find the podcast at LBT Pod on Twitter. You can send us an email at lousybeautifultownpod at gmail.com. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes. And if you leave a five star review, if you leave a if you leave a five star review, Abby will read it on the podcast. <laughs> like how you are the designator review designated review yeah. reader, and I'm just like, nope, that's your yeah, that's, that's your job. <laughs> Um, we are available on Google Play, Spotify, and iTunes because we're like a real podcast Ooh. now, and we even put episode numbers in our title, so that's crazy <laughs> and great. And we're weekly, and we didn't come up with a title for this episode. <laughs> Shit, fuck. <laughs> didn't even think about. So we'll have yeah. to think about that. Um, thank you guys so much for listening to our podcast. It really means a lot. May the force be with you, all, <laughs> and your Slash Vic and your <laughs> may the gaze be with you all. Your little hearts. Yeah. <laughs> we suck at ending our own podcast. We do. Okay. Hey, hold on a second. Meow. He's throwing. Oh. It's okay. <laughs> I was like, what is that noise? I feel like that is the most um, us thing for that to happen. <laughs> like, oh, sorry, the cat's puking. <laughs> so You could do self-insert, too. That has more than one meaning in this. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I'm editing that out. God, too much.